you know, there is this idea that like you have to find your voice, but it's like, it's so much simpler than that. <laughs> it's really what it is, is, is allowing yourself to let that voice come out. Like the voice is already in you. It's not like you have to find anything. Instead, it's about yeah. just giving yourself permission in some cases to, you know, let that voice come out. Helping you create loyal customers and loyal employees all through the power of simplicity. This is the Simple Brand Podcast, now heard around the world, including Boston, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Matt Lyles, and this week I'm talking with Ann Handley. Ann's the Chief Content Officer for Marketing Profs, where they educate more than 600,000 marketers around the world. Her B2B Marketing Forum is the premier global marketing event from B2B marketers. Anne's a Wall Street Journal bestselling author, and she's consistently named one of the most influential marketers on social media. Her book, Everybody Writes, your go-to guide to creating ridiculously good content, has been considered the Bible for marketing writing for about nine years now. Well, she's recently expanded and revised Everybody Writes to update it for how marketing, content, writing, and the audience mindset have evolved over the past nine years. And she claims that this version is 10% funnier than the first edition. But I think she's sandbagging because to me, it's super, super funny. Anne and I discuss lessons from Everybody Writes, including building strong writing habits, her framework for consistently creating ridiculously good content, crafting and evolving your brand voice, and how we should approach AI when it comes to writing. It turns out the robots aren't here to completely take over our jobs. Well, not yet at least. So here it is. Here's my interview with Anne Handley. Hey Anne, good to see you. Welcome to the show. I am delighted to be joining you here today, Matt. Oh, I am too. I'm so excited about Everybody Writes, your go-to guide to create... Wait, no. I'm excited about the all-new, completely revised and expanded, new and improved Everybody Writes. New and improved. And 10% funnier. Just 10 I think you sandbagged a little bit there. I think it's more than 10% funnier. Well, here's the thing. I heard an interview with Malcolm Gladwell in which he talked about how he would never write a shouts and murmurs column for the New Yorker magazine. So the New Yorker magazine has a humor column called shouts and murmurs. And Malcolm was like, I would never do that because it puts a label on your work as funny and it immediately signals to somebody like, oh, you will find this funny. And if they don't find it funny, for whatever reason, then they get annoyed. And they're like, that's not funny. That guy's not funny. So this is why I put 10%, because I thought it's enough of a signal in a business book context anyway, to say like, this is lighthearted. This is fun. This is different. But not enough to oversell it. So that like, if I had said 75% funnier, then people would be like, that bar is way too high. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that's the 10%. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense when it comes to humor and whether you're talking about either yourself or somebody else, undersell it a little bit. And then people will think that it's, that, that it actually is funny. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's kind of a good philosophy for life, isn't it? Like, I think so. No matter yeah. what you're doing, always undersell. Yeah. 
go and into then, it with the idea that you will be surprised by how good this is as opposed to like, this is going to be amazing. Honestly, it's a good marketing strategy too. Don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, like make a promise and then over deliver on that mm-hmm. promise. You, you have to, you have to at least meet the expectations first, but then over deliver on that too. But right. when we think about, when we think about humor, we think about being funny. I mean, like that's certainly part of one of the ways that we can stand out in our writing. And, you know, I, I look back to your first edition of Everybody Writes. That was 2014. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Eight years ago. Yeah. Eight. So here we are eight years later. I'm curious, you know, has anything really changed? I mean, you know, think about where we are today, 2023, all the distractions, the short attention spans. Why does writing matter now more than ever? I was just thinking about the fact that, can you believe that actually 2014 was now nine years ago, right? Not eight years ago. Oh, that's right. That's kind of that's nutty. It's kind of insane. It feels like it was not that long ago, but that's nearly a decade. So crazy. Um, yes. But to answer your question, uh, started to derail the conversation there for half a second. Yeah, I mean, a whole lot has changed, Matt, in the in the nine years since the first edition yeah. came out. There's a lot of variety in the ways that that we communicate, and I went into that to the to the to redoing everybody right. So I went into it thinking that I was going to do a quick dusting of everybody rights, right. I thought that I would, you know, just just go in and and maybe like run the vacuum metaphorically over the text and and freshen up some of the outdated examples and maybe throw in some new case studies and, you know, slide in some new stats for some of the moldy stats that were part of that. But the more that I read it, when I sat down to finally read it and to go through it and to launch into this project, I thought, you know what, this is like going to be a more substantive rewrite than I thought that it would. You know, I thought that it was going to be a pretty easy thing to do because in my mind, how much has writing changed? You know, how much have we changed? But the reality is we have changed a whole lot. Our world has changed a whole lot. Marketing has changed a lot also in the past nine years. And so that means that, yes, the way we communicate, the things we say, how we say it, all of that has changed. We have an exponential number of ways to communicate with our audiences now, to build audiences. Even you know, even more so than nine years ago when the first edition came out, and so I wanted to acknowledge all of those changes. I think part of it is being driven by technology. Certainly, the way that you know the pace of technology has only you know it has only um, increased. Right, we have new right. channels, new abilities all the time. So that's part of it too. Part of it is I think our evolution as people in a post-pandemic world. We expect brands to be more relatable, to speak to us directly, I believe, to use inherently human language. I think if there is a silver lining to a global pandemic, that has been one thing that has emerged. And I think that's something that's going to, that's here to stay. But the third thing though, is that I changed, you know, and maybe this is the biggest reason why I completely rewrote the entire book. Because when I went back and read that first edition, there was, I mean, the bones were good. The, The advice is good. But I barely recognized the writer who was writing it. I barely recognized myself because my voice had changed in the eight years that I created the first edition and rewrote the second edition. And so I decided at that point that, you know what, 
this is not going to be a vacuum and a dust and a, you know, spray some Febreze around the room and call it refreshed. Instead, what we're going to do is take it right down to the studs and rebuild it from the ground up. So that's what I did. I rewrote every single word. I thought it was going to take me, I don't know, maybe a month or two to do the second edition. <laughs> Instead, it took about a year of six months of like really, really focused writing um, and about six months of kind of dithering around and procrastinating and doing other things instead of working on it, but nonetheless, still thinking about it. And, you know, that, that is part of the writing process. And so, you know, whether you measure it as, as six months or a year, it took a lot longer than I expected that it would. Well, especially for the high value, high impact writing, the big writing that we want to deliver out, I think that it does end up taking a lot longer than we plan. And that's a good thing. That's a yeah. good thing when it does take that time. Instead of just trying to, um, I think you even mentioned this somewhere in the book, instead of just trying to churn out the content. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think the bar is higher now than ever before. Like when I say that marketing has changed and the communication has changed, that means that, you know, in 2023, we're not writing to please search engines anymore. You know, we need right. to think about how do we actually communicate in a way that is going to pull our our potential audience, our, our pull our prospects and our customers to us? How do we connect with them in a way that will build trust, that will show them who we are so that ultimately they will think of us first? You know, all of that has always been true, but I think especially right now, again, in this era of an exponential number of ways to communicate, the bar has never been higher. And I like that, honestly. I like that in, in marketing. I think it's good to have a high bar in terms of how we communicate. And I, I wanted to make this, everybody writes to a guide for modern marketers, you know, who are trying to solve that challenge, who are trying to figure that out. Oh, yeah. Well, when you think about we, we have the exponential ways to communicate, what comes with that are the exponential growing distractions that we all have now. So you have uh, much more, you have, you, have, you have a much higher barrier to break through all those distractions. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, like you're all about simple, right? Like I, that's I, right. I love that as a way of thinking about brand. And I also love that as a way of, of thinking about writing. You know, when we think about writing, it's not about being very good at grammar or it's not about, um, you know, being a, a good technical writer. Instead, it's just about learning to simplify your message in a way that will connect with somebody else. So, Losing all that jargon, losing the complexity, that is very much the history of business writing generally, but also in marketing. You know, we have fallen prey to that. And so part of what I wanted to do in this new edition was speak to you simply and directly. I wanted people to feel like they were having a conversation with me and that I was helping them as like, you know, the world's biggest champion of great marketing writing, of good marketing writing. I wanted to empower them and inspire them to create the best versions of their own writing as, as they possibly could. Like, full stop. That was my goal with this book. Well, I would say goal achieved. Because when I read through your book, and then when, when I read through your newsletter as well, I, it is literally like you are right there with me. Like, we're actually having a conversation, and you are talking to me. And that speaks to the work that you've done over, well, over nine years to hone your brand voice. Yeah. Yes, exactly. 
there's this notion in in writing, but also like in marketing, I mean, in, in all of it, that the idea of brand voice is something that you find. But I've thought about it differently more recently. I don't think that it's about finding your brand voice or finding your own writing voice as a creator, as a subject matter expert. I mean, any of those things, it doesn't matter. Um, when I say voice, I'm speaking more broadly, like the the way that any of us write and the way that we come across to our audience or to another reader. Right. Um, and so, you know, there is this idea that like you have to find your voice, but it's like, it's so much simpler than that. <laughs> it's really what it is, is is allowing yourself to let that voice come out. Like the voice is already in you. It's not like you have to find anything. Instead, it's about yeah. just giving yourself permission in some cases to, you know, let that voice come out. But the other side of that is having the confidence to, to share that voice and also just, you know, having a little bit of expertise in a particular area. And so I think it's a, and not just that, but I think there's a, there's a combination of things there that will allow you ultimately to have a voice. What the reason why my own voice changed over the past eight years, and you just mentioned it a minute ago, is because of my email newsletter. And it's not just about the fact that I have an email newsletter. It's about how I've used it. I've used it in a way to test and, and kind of challenge myself in a few ways. Like number one, can I communicate with an audience every other week? So the newsletter publishes every fortnight or every other Sunday, keeping to that schedule over the past almost four years has been enormously helpful to me because I kind of made a promise to myself, like as much as I make a promise to an audience, I made a promise to myself, like I will not skip an issue. And I did it like for the most part, I've like, I've, I've kept to it. The other thing though, is like just that exercise of communicating directly with the, an individual reader in my audience, which really helped my voice a lot. It's giving me the confidence to write because I see, I get feedback from the audience and they pass it along to others and yep. the newsletter grows and like all of that stuff. But ultimately it's been that it's, it's been the, the fact that I've shown up every other week. And that's just the biggest key to writing anyway. That's why I talk about it in the book that it's very much like, like going to a gym. Like you, you can get a gym membership and go once a month and it's not going to do anything for you. Right. It's about right. instead showing up at a regular time that you make a commitment to, to do so. And that's how you become fitter, stronger, build bigger muscles. And that's how you become a stronger, fitter marketer, marketer and writer with bigger muscles too. Oh, that's it. Yeah. That, that's, that's one of the things that I've been trying to work on with myself over this past year. Well, um, my word of 2022, my one word was discipline, oh. you know, that, that means doing the thing, whether you feel like it or not, not waiting for, uh, the ideal conditions. And so that speaks to whatever it is you're trying to grow in, whether it's writing or whether it's uh, creativity and innovation. Like, um, well, our, our, our mutual friend, Carla Johnson, talks about, you know, building that creative, that innovative muscle. It's the same thing with with writing. Yes, 100 percent. Yeah. Carla's book um, talks about that too. rethink innovation, I think is the name of her book. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. That's so true. What's your word for 2023? I'm considering sticking with discipline. <laughs> there, oh, there's wow. there's a few more things that I need to be more disciplined about. And and actually, um, writing is one of those. I, I, I've I I have fallen out of like the the habit of regular writing and I and I want to I want to push it towards 
daily writing now. Mm, I like that. I want to hone the Matt Lyles brand voice. Mm, I like that. You should like maybe your your word for well, words for 2023 is discipline. No, seriously, this time. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah, I mean it. For real. For real. Yeah. No take backs. Well, <laughs> and that speaks to something. I want to I'm going to jump toward the end of the book because that speaks to a quote from, well, one of your favorite authors who her book is right there over your right shoulder, Charlotte's Web. Um, E.B. White, I'm going to read here. Uh, the quote that you put in there was, a writer who waits for ideal conditions under which to work will die without putting a word on paper. And then you also add the simpler yet powerful reminder, done is better than perfect. Mm-hmm. So, I- so considering that, do you think that that's one of the big hangups that prevents most people from writing that big thing they want to write? I think so. I just realized, you know, hearing you read that E.B. White quote, it's kind of dramatic, isn't it? Like, we'll die. Yeah. Like, wow. I I never quite, I never quite uh, realized just uh, just how, how dark that is. Um, well, and it's not so yeah. much that, that you'll yeah. just die. It, I, th- I think that it speaks to, I think that it speaks to those, those deathbed regrets that many people have. You know, a lot of like, you know, what is it? What's the, I think there's a stat that says like 80% of, of the population has a book in them. Only 3% may ever start writing one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm kind of kidding, but it's like hearing you say it is like, that's something that jumped out at me. I was like, wow, we died. Very, very dramatic. Um, yeah, now I've just completely lost what the question was. Uh, what was your question? So con- considering that not waiting for the ideal condition writing anyway, no matter what the condition is, writing even on those days that you don't feel like writing, do you think that that's one of the things that holds most people back from uh, writing? Yes, there we go. That's the question. <laughs> My job here is just to pay attention, and yet somehow I failed to do that. Um, yeah, no, I think it is a big piece. That's why part of what's new in this new in the second edition also is some prescription around creating a daily writing habit so that you do start to build that muscle, so that you do let go of this idea that there is no perfect condition, you know, that in which to write. And I talked about my own struggles with creating that daily writing habit. As a kid, I was, you know, kind of a book, bookish kid. I wanted to be a writer. And so as a, as a bookish kid who wanted to be a writer, like a, a common gift that my aunts and uncles and, and, family would give to me is a diary right they would give me a diary and i just i would start it like gung-ho like day one day two day three and like after about six or seven days it was just like i just completely fell off the wagon you know i just didn't see the benefit the value i just wasn't interested in writing to myself every day and it wasn't until just a couple of years ago um maybe three, four years ago, that I reframed the way that I had been thinking about keeping a daily journal. Like I I always had two competing mindsets about it. Number one is it's like, oh, this mantra that, you know, every writer keeps a journal. I'd be like, yeah, well, not this one, suckers. That's right. You know, like, I don't do that. I'm different. So great. 
the other piece that was, I always felt kind of bad about it. I always thought, God, what am I missing? Like that everyone else seems to get such joy and such, um, benefit out of keeping a journal. And I don't like, what am I missing? So those two things were competing within me. And finally, one day I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do this, but maybe I need to do it in a way that works for me. So instead of just writing about my day or about my feelings or, you know, things like that, which I found inherently boring to kind of, you know, to rehash for me, like, again, for me, some people do it, like, it's amazingly cathartic, like, no shade on that. I'm talking about for me, though, just it just never really resonated with me. So I thought, what if instead I just use it as a repository to for stories? So if I'm in line at Whole Foods and there's an argument going on behind me that you can't help but overhear, you know, we all have those moments in our day, then I would just sort of be a little more attuned to it. And I would listen for the dynamics and the subtext and I would later write that down. Um, or, you know, one day I was in line at the post office and there was this whole conversation between the uh, the guy who works at the post office and somebody who came in about whether or not you can re-glue a stamp onto an envelope, even if it hasn't been canceled yet. A whole conversation <laughs> about this, and I kid you not, went on for a good 15, 20 minutes, like back and forth. And the, the thing was, they weren't speaking each other's language. Like the guy feels like he's being completely clear. The customer uh-huh. feels like he's being completely clear. And it was just like, they're totally missing each other. Um, and it was just like being in line. I was like, this is like a classic empathetic problem. One person could not put themselves in the other person's shoes at all. So there was zero empathy going on here. It was just a lot of just like saying the same thing to each other and hoping that it sticks. Um, and so just things like that are things that I now write down in my journal. And every single day, I just think about stories from the day before. Um, maybe something that happened here, you know, like it can be anything. It doesn't have to be like insightful or heavy or or, you know, even good, but it's just it's starting to train my muscle. So that when I sit down to write my email newsletter or anything that I might do, even a, a speech that I might create, I have a repository of stories that sometimes I will use, but whether I use them or not, it kind of doesn't matter because I'm also much more of a creator. You know, it's made me a stronger creator. Right. So, yeah, I think just like thinking about and and I'm not sharing this prescription in, in as a way to say, like, you need to do this, but I'm sharing my own journey as a creator and how I basically got there, um, because it is something that I think a lot of, of writers and a lot of creators struggle with. And when you think about that, you're you're taking that time to listen to those conversations you overhear or to look at a situation and say, hmm. I, th- I wonder if if that's a good story for me to record. I'll at least record it and write it down. I think that also helps you, that helps open up your mind, your eyes, your ears, whatever, to where you're more prone to even see those stories happening around you each day. Yes, exactly. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, you said it much more elegantly than I did. But yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It tunes your ear, it tunes your brain um, so that you're just, you know, aware and open to things. Um, now, when I take my dog out for a walk, I'm just so much more tuned into the world around me. Um, you know, we live in a world where like things are moving fast. Like we, <laughs> there's incredible speed and momentum around us all the time. Like you said at, uh, at the start of this conversation, you know, there's so much, there's so much, uh, distraction. There's, there's so much competing for our attention that I find it enormously helpful just to, pause for 15 minutes every day. I don't I don't commit any more than that. It's 15 minutes. I sit down with a journal and write longhand before I crack open my laptop, before I play Wordle on my phone, you know, <laughs> before I do any of that. Stuff. 
I just sit down for myself and write for 15 minutes something that happens. And some days I feel kind of, you know, used up and I'm like, eh, I'm not like feeling it today. So I may just write a few lines and, and call it a day. Um, you know, there's, there's no way to do it wrong. It's not that you have to do this journal and answer these specific questions. You talked about, you, you find out what's right for you, you know, and it could be 30 minutes. It could be 15 minutes or it could even be five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I, I call it my 15 minutes of Sunday because I don't know how your Sunday mornings are, but, but mine tend to be very slow, very contemplative. It's like my favorite morning of the week because it's just very relaxed. Like there's no, there's, there's usually no busyness that's driving Sunday morning for me. And so I wanted to, to take a little piece of that into each morning of, of the week, each morning of, of, um, of my life. And that's, so that's kind of what I call it. My, it's like my 15 minutes of Sunday every single day. There you go. Well, so my relaxing contemplative time only happens when everybody else in the house is still asleep. Mm -hmm. I've got two boys, 12 and 10. As soon as they're up, the chaos and the noise and everything, you know, just, just goes on and that's okay. That's okay. It's just, if I want to have any relaxing time, so maybe I'll just call it my, what, 4.30 4.30 a.m. time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My kids are older, so I'm past that time. But I remember that. I remember those moments where, you know, I would try to get up first and I'm like, I'm not a morning person. And so 4.30, like, I don't even know what that is. Like, is that an hour? Is that an hour? Of the day? It's so it's so cold and dark. It is so cold and dark at that time. I don't I don't really I don't think that's a real hour. I'm sorry. I don't think that's a real thing. But uh, but no, I remember those days where I used to like I used to try to get up before them, and if I didn't get quite long enough, I would hear them upstairs, and I'd be like, "Oh, please go back to sleep." Oh, no, just give me five more minutes. Come on, please. Yeah. Well, and and again, that speaks to the fact that um, while everybody writes, everybody is also different. Everybody has a different situation. Mm-hmm. Everybody has. Uh, different types of writing prompts that speak to them. And so one of the things that really, really helped me and really helped me feel so much better about myself in reading your book is that um, I don't have to feel guilty about certain things. I don't have to feel guilty about not following this exact process, or I don't have to feel guilty about when I first write it down that it really doesn't look that good. Or I don't have to feel guilty about wanting to procrastinate and walk away for a bit because you write like that's, that's actually all part of the process. Yes, that's exactly Uh, right. Um, Yeah. I, what I really wanted to accomplish with this book is to give readers some systems and, and processes, many of which have worked for me, but I, as you are, as you know, it's like I often say in the book, you know, take what you want and, and leave the rest. Like, this is what works for me. And here's a way that I think will make it easier for you, you know, translate it into why you should care and, and, and why it matters to you. I hope ultimately that when a reader reads the book, they, they can look at, for example, my writing process, right? I call it the GPS writing process. They can look at that. My process is 17 steps, which sounds insane, but 
a lot of those steps are, you know, sort of just like, you know, quick mindset adjustments or like walking right. away, for example, is a, is a step between the first and second draft. Like it's not really a step. But I think it's just something that we need to accommodate for. Um, so my hope, though, is that like somebody would look at that GPS and say, well, you know, I don't necessarily need that last part of, you know, of, of reconciling my emotions about something like I, I don't need that piece of it. And that's fine. Like, I'm not saying that you need to be completely prescriptive, prescriptive about anything in writing because you know as we just said there there is no wrong way but i if your goal is to get better you know my hope is that if you can read those 17 steps and think you know all right i get it like i get what i need to do and then you can pick and choose the pieces that that really work best for you um i want people to take what they want and and leave the rest like take what you want amend it adapt it you know use it at at will um but you know nothing about writing should ever be prescriptive Right. I, I kept thinking of the word permission throughout reading this. Like there's so much permission in there that allows you to be okay with an ugly first draft. There's permission to be able to walk away for a bit. And I think there's there's permission to be able to say, okay, you know, if I'm just crafting a social media post versus say an article versus say a book. I can approach the framework differently for each of those. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, I like that you just said that word permission. Because we shouldn't feel like that we, it's okay to like be terrible, you know? Yeah. It's like, that, that sounds so simple, but it was kind of a big revelation to me that, you know, very often I was putting too much pressure on myself when I was creating a first draft or when I was thinking through even the initial thoughts around a, a piece. And so, you know, one of my very good friends, he's an incredible editor. Like he's just the world's best editor. Like I love the way that he will take a piece of writing and just magically make it better, but not infuse it with his voice, which is such a gift, you know, for, for an editor to, to be able to do. But yet when he sits down to write, he's a terrible writer. And it's because of that. It's because he can't help but self-edit himself as he's writing. And so it puts an enormous amount of pressure on him to come out with something that doesn't need editing right away. And it's like, it's it's such a torturous process for him because of the way that his brain works. Again, he's a fantastic editor, but it makes him a really, it, it makes the writing process very difficult for him. And I think yeah. of that a lot because for me, I had to let go of any judgment. You know, I need to like let go of any kind of self-slandering that I might do about, oh my God, this is terrible. Because the worst. my first draft, like they are, they're literally like, they're so bad, but that's okay. Like I'm, I'm actually good with it now. <laughs> you know, I don't mind like if they're ugly and, and terrible and red, like I had, uh, like I was typing with mittens on, you know, like they're just rife <laughs> with like spelling errors or not even a full sentence. Like, you know, and so much wrong with it, but that's like, that's part of it now. And I see that and it's okay. And I think one of the things that helps is when we understand that, especially from other writers, from other published authors, people that we hold in high regard as proficient writers, one of the things that I have really enjoyed in growing my business over the past few years is learning from other people that are a few years ahead of me and them sharing their behind the scenes stories. Because you know, on, on, on the outside, like I look and I think, wow, they created this awesome keynote and I bet that it took them maybe an hour or two to put together. 
and they wrote it one time and it was fully formed and they went out on stage and did it. Well, no, they had to go through the process of creating an ugly first draft. And here's their process for how it really was the worst at this point. And they refined it and edited it. And that makes me feel a lot better about the work that I'm writing. When I write something for the first time, I realize, oh, you know what? That is ugly. And it's supposed to be ugly right now. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, exactly. Celebrate that ugliness. You know, I think that's what we need to do. And I, I talk about that in the book, right? It's like, it's, it, yes, it's ugly. Like, good for you. You did it. You got it down. And that's all that matters. Um, so yeah, 100%. I totally vibe with what you're saying. That's it. So, so all I have to say is like, that should help everybody understand that they can write. They do have a writing muscle. You just have to exercise it. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And I think it's incredibly important for us to to think about that. Uh, you know, back when we were talking about why writing matters at the very start of our conversation here today. One of the things that, you know, we didn't talk about, but I think really is going to affect us in the years to come is AI writing tools, right? AI writing platforms. And there is a a, a kind of energy out there, I guess, that I have heard from others that, oh, good, it's like these tools are here to write for us, to do the work for us. And it's like, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> you know, right. the reality is, is that an AI writing tool is a t- tool, full stop. And you need yeah. to know how to direct that tool. You need to know what good writing looks like. You need to be able to judge whether or not this is this is good or not good. And so they're very much good for us as writing partners. But they're not going to do the work for us. You know, they're not going to just step in and do the work for us. I was talking to a friend the other day, and she said that she thinks about AI writing tools as significant as like an Excel worksheet for an accountant. The development of Excel didn't mean that accountants aren't needed anymore. Right. right? It's just like AI writing tools. It's not a um, it's not that writers aren't going to be needed anymore. It's just another tool in our arsenal. It's it's a powerful tool. Yes, 100 percent. But. We have to, like, you can't put an AI writing tool into the hands of someone who can't write and expect anything that's, like, ridiculously good. And in a world where the bar is ridiculously good, then what does that mean? It means you need to be able to write to use these effectively. Yeah. If, if, you, if you simply rely on the AI tool to do the writing for you, then you're not going to be able to get over that bar, get over that hurdle. And your writing is not going to stand out um, among all those other distractions. It's going to be lost in that sea of sameness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And I think that's very much true now. But I think, you know, maybe what's to come is that AI can be a, an, an incredibly useful tool, especially for, well, I was going to say, especially for writers who are who are already very good writers. Um, but I actually think it applies across the board, whether you feel like you're not a great writer, or whether you feel like you are. It offers an opportunity for us to to level up. So, for example, if you are an incredible writer and are you're you're using an AI tool in your work, my hope is that the AI, AI tool will you know help us to to get to an even higher level. So, for example, is it going to challenge me uh, to rethink about you know you you tend to to use these words often, or you tend to just sort of like fall into this sort of uh, pattern of writing. Is there another another way that you could express this? You know, things like that, where I feel like if, if, if now if a writing tool did that for me, I would like, wow, you know, that would just be, I would love that, honestly. It, it would play the role of a lot of friends and family now who it's like, I, 
I forced them into servitude at reading my first draft. And they're like, yeah, it's good. And I'm like, no, no, but what about this? What about that? You know, yeah. you know, and some people have the patience for that and some people don't. But it would be nice to have that as, as a kind of, uh, I don't know, as a kind of writing partner. That's one of the things that I love about Grammarly is like, I, I will use Grammarly. I will put my writing into it and I'll say, well, here's your tone here. And that mm. reminds me, oh, that wasn't really the tone that I was going for. Yeah. Let me make some adjustments here. And that, ah, yeah. there's the tone that I wanted. Yeah, That's exactly. it. So, yeah, I'm a fan of Grammarly too. And But one of the things that I love about using Grammarly is I like saying, like kind of kicking its suggestions to the curb, you know? So I don't just take them wholesale. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, you did want to sound a little bit like unfriendly and stern in that line. And, you know, when Grammarly is like, watch your tone. I'm like, no, I will not watch my tone Grammarly yeah. because that isn't exactly what I wanna, how I want to come across. Or like Grammarly will often, like for me, flag uh, incomplete sentences. And if it's an incomplete sentence, I am usually intentionally using an incomplete sentence. It's like, I know it's not a complete sentence. It doesn't need to be for my purposes right now in this piece. And so, yeah, things like that. I think it's as equally satisfying to kick those suggestions apart. And what does that do? It, it's like it makes you more confident in your own communication when you're able to say like, yeah, I know. I know that's like, what you might say, but that's not the way that I say it. (laughs) Yeah. This is my voice and I've done all the reps. So now I am confident in my own writing. Yes. 100%. That's it. Well, so last question before we go, if you were to create a soundtrack for everybody writes, what song would you include? Oh boy. All right. So I have two. First is, um, my favorite walk-on music when I give a talk, like on a on a bigger stage, you know, sometimes we'll ask you like what, what walk-on music you want. Um, and my favorite walk-on music is Best Day of My Life by <laughs> American Authors. Love it. You know, yes. you know the, do you know the song? No. Yeah. Uh, do you know what it is? Do you know it? Yeah. This is going to be yeah. the best day of my yeah, life. My life. Yeah. My life. It's just such a good song. It's yeah. like very, very rallying and it's high energy. So that I I try to sit down when I write anything is just kind of with that, not necessarily the soundtrack playing in my brain, but that kind of mindset. Like, this is going to be the best email I've ever written. It's going to be the best LinkedIn yeah. post I've ever written, you know, and whether I actually hit that bar, whether it's actually true, I don't know. But I like going into that into it with that mindset. Um, the second thing is, is that our mutual friend, Ryan Anderson, created <laughs> a music video for Everybody Writes. And you might be thinking, music video for a business book about writing? Heck yes, he did a fantastic job. So hopefully we can link to that in the show notes. I um, will do. So I think between those two, there's a soundtrack some- in there somewhere. <laughs> love it. Yes, love those two. And, and I always love all the songs that Ryan records, creates, and puts out. And then... Yeah. And then, um, and then the other song, Best Time of Life, like, again, like that just speaks to the fact that, you know, just be confident in yourself, be confident in the end result. And like, if you, if you go through the writing habit, if you do all the reps to build that writing muscle, then you can be confident knowing that you're going to put something great out there. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank Love you for it. having me. Well, and thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful for your time. Where can people go to learn more from you? Oh, my goodness. Um, let's see. I am the Chief Content Officer of Marketing Profs. So you can go to marketingprofs.com if you're interested in education and training for you as a marketer or for your team. Or you can also find me at anhanley.com. 
if you want to sign up for my fortnightly newsletter, which is the best thing on the internet, it's at annhanley.com slash newsletter. Total anarchy. Total anarchy. Yes. Love it. Again, well, Anne, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our talk today. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Anne Handley. So go and learn more from her and her team at marketingprofs.com, where you'll find hours and hours of marketing education and training. And trust me when I say that you must sign up for Anne's newsletter, Total Anarchy. Anne's newsletter is one of a select few that I recommend to others. It's full of Anne's lessons, insights, and cool examples of brands from around the world, all to help you learn how to grab your audience's attention through ridiculously good content. And it won't clutter your inbox because it only comes out fortnightly. Fortnightly is a word that means every two weeks. And you can get Anne's newsletter by simply going to annhandley.com slash newsletter. And lastly, be sure and pick up your copy of Anne's newly revised and expanded Everybody Writes. It'll help you level up your writing so that it stands out against everybody else's attempt of just using AI and robots. And hey, if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead and hit that subscribe button because it's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Jay Bear. Jay's one of the world's top 30 global gurus in customer service and online marketing, and he's a Hall of Fame keynote speaker. He's the author of six best-selling books, and he's the second most popular tequila influencer in the world. Jay and I discuss insights from his latest study, The Time to Win. It's all around brand speed and consumer patience. Spoiler alert, customers who have to wait won't be customers for long. So go ahead and subscribe, and you'll automatically get Jay's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Simple.